Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given by Tom Job on Sunday morning, July 10th, 2022, from John chapter 15. I don't know if you guys remember that, but I think this was maybe seven or eight years ago, but... um so I had a Sunday where it was like at this point, like where I was coming up to give like my, you know, my message, which I mean, so to, to me, like this is the idea that I get the opportunity to share with you like on Sundays, just concepts that tell you, well, okay, this is a secret, really. Whenever I'm talking on Sunday, I'm really talking to myself. Like, I'm talking, because I'm a person who has, like, kind of a lot of struggles and stuff, and so I just find things that help me and share them with you. So, I know I'm weird, but I think maybe you're not that weird. Maybe there's somebody that's like you in a way. But it's just so cool to, like, to share uh, something, like, out of the Holy Scriptures, which is, like, a miraculous book that is full of, you'd almost want to say, secrets to happy life like you can't really be a happy human without knowing these things and the only way you would ever know them is if you're told them by God in a book I mean it's just kind of amazing so anyway and I remember that Sunday I was talking about something that was like the life of the apostle Peter like or whatever and I was some of you older I mean the people I've been around for a while will remember but I was about four minutes into it and all of a sudden I didn't remember what came next. And then I realized that I didn't remember what I was even talking about. And then I realized I don't even know my own name right now. And so, and then I looked down at my notes and they looked back at me and they said, I don't know you. And I mean, it was just, I was completely done. I mean, like, completely blank. And a couple of doctors, and we sent everybody home at like 1127, because it was so, a couple of doctors thought that I was having a stroke. And, um, but it turned out that's not true. There's, in the history of Christianity and homiletical practice, there's actually a name for it, and it's happened to people. It's called drying up. Like where you're just like giving your sermon and you just completely forget everything. And you know what? It, it Not in this way, but it happened to Jerry Seinfeld. Like one of the first times he ever like got up and told all his jokes because he has like a million jokes and they're kind of like about little things like, like um, whoever thought to put carpet on your toilet seat? Maybe they thought, you know how people have that little carpet sometimes on their toilet seat and on the lid, you know, he said, maybe they thought at our Christmas party, there might be so many people, someone needs to stand on the toilet, you know, but, um, but so like, Bozo the Clown, if your name is Bozo, do you really have to say the clown afterwards? But, he, but so the way he remembered his jokes was like, uh, he had some jokes about airline food, some jokes about buying new shoes and some jokes about TV meteorologists. And when he got up there, he blanked out and all he could remember was his topics. So that's what he did. He said, buying new shoes, airline food, TV meteorologist. And he walked off and he walked off. But so, so John Newton, like John Newton, who's like one of the greatest pastors of all time. Um, I just love it. You know, the guy that wrote Amazing Grace and all that stuff. But one time it happened to him kind of early on when he was a pastor that he was going to give his sermon and he did what he called drying up. And he said, you know, I set off tolerably well, 
But after 10 minutes, I was stopped like Hannibal in the Alps. And he said, my ideas forsook me. Darkness and confusion filled their place. And I stared at the people. And they stared at me, some with comforting smiles, some with weeping and tears. You know, and he was done. So anyway, so last week, um, that didn't happen to me last week, but last week, and I was going to talk to you about like this thing about abiding in Jesus and like the branch and the vine and all that stuff, what it means to depend on Jesus and needing to depend on him yourself if you're trying to follow him and all that stuff. And I don't know if anybody noticed this, but about maybe um, two thirds of the way through, I felt like Oh my goodness, I'm not exactly sure what comes next. And I think this is starting to fall apart. And I felt like that person in the, um, you know the great British breaking show where they do, usually it's like the third thing where they do like their big thing where they have a cake and it's really got seven flavors and seven layers and there's actual moving parts and a little motor in it, you know, and they're, and they're carrying it for, to judgment to Paul Hollywood, you know? And you're like, oh, that's so amazing. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, I think that's starting to lean a little bit. Oh, I think it's starting to lean a little bit more. And then the whole thing falls apart, you know? And it's like, it was a cool idea. But so anyway, but that's kind of how I felt. And then I was just like, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. So anyway, I guess I made it to the end. But um, towards the middle of the week, I thought upon further review, I was actually talking to you guys about like trying to do what God's called you to do and feeling like you have to really, really depend on him and say, Jesus, help me. And then I realized while I was talking about it in real time, I was actually doing that. And I thought, that was pretty cool. So anyway, but so what I wanted to do this week is pick up some of the pieces that fell on the floor that I didn't, that, you know, I didn't want to just leave them on the floor. And I wanted to share them with you because they meant a lot to me. And, um, but so... Okay, so last week, what I was talking about, you know, that whole thing about Jesus wanting them to understand that life with him is like a branch in a grapevine, you know what I mean? And how that's super important that you grow things that are delicious and beautiful. But it's not like, it's not like a branch in a tree, which a branch that's attached to a branch that's attached to another branch that's attached to another branch that's attached to a bigger branch. And then ultimately, there's a big branch that's attached to the trunk, but that a branch in a grapevine has to be attached like itself to the vine. Did I say that last week? Yes. Good. Okay. So <laughs> I meant to, but, but anyway, but it's just basically the idea that like you have to depend on Jesus yourself. And like, there's certain things in your walk through the kingdom of God that nobody can do it for you, but you have to do it yourself. Like, because God has, like the scriptures tell us that God has a will for you. Like he has a will for everybody, but he has a will for you. He has a plan for you. Like it's a plan for your life and what it becomes. It doesn't feel like a plan to you. It feels to you more like a path because you can't really know it. Like you can't really know what is God's plan for me because it involves a lot of twists and turns and it involves a lot of maybe tough things that if you saw them coming you'd turn around and go the other way so he's it's basically you're following him one step at a time and you wind up where you need to be doing what only you could do so there's a place in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 that says we are his um we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus like you're God's 
okay, so the word workmanship, the Greek word is the word poema, where we get the word poem. So you're like a poem. One thing about poems is it may be good, it may be bad, but no two poems are exactly alike. And so you're just like, you're completely unique, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand that you should do them. But it doesn't actually say that you should do them. In the Greek New Testament, it says that you should walk in them. Like you just walk one step at a time, one step at a time. God, he's not going to tell you like his will for your life. He's only going to tell you the next step and then you take it. And then you wind up in a place you never thought you would be, doing things you never maybe thought you would do, but whatever you're doing, you're doing it in a way that nobody exactly does it like you. So, you know, last week I was telling you about like one of the greatest heroes of my life was a man, a young British man named Hudson Taylor who, um, he accepted Jesus when he was 17. And by the time he was 20, he was on a ship, on a, on a freight ship called the Dumfries in 1855 on his way to be a missionary to China because he was just on fire for Chinese and reaching Chinese for Jesus. His parents had prayed the day that he was born that God would use this newborn in China. But anyway, he just, and so um, when he got there, after a little minute, he was kind of disappointed in like all the British missionaries because they were all kind of on the coast and they all kind of lived their little English thing and did their little tea at four and all that stuff. And there was a man, there was a, a German Lutheran missionary named Carl Gustav who had gotten the idea of dressing up like a Chinese person and, you know, wearing their clothes instead of British clothes that Chinese people didn't understand so that people would listen to him. The, the Roman Catholic missionaries had done that for centuries. Um, Roman Catholic, Protestant missionaries, they were always the last to go. And they were always the last to know how to do this. But, um, but anyway, so he started to do that and everybody started making super fun of him and everything. And uh, he married a young girl when he was 23, she was 20, and was, had been, she had grown up in China. And uh, she thought he was the coolest, and she thought it was the coolest to dress in Chinese clothes. But he belonged to this mission that was good intention, but it was super dysfunctional. And he realized that he, um, that his mission was borrowing money to pay their missionary salaries. And he thought that was super wrong to do. And he, he had a hero back in England who was about 30 years older than him, but it was a, he was a German who had immigrated to England, but it was a man named George Mueller. And George Mueller, this was back in the days of Oliver Twist when there were thousands and thousands of orphans living in the streets of London and England. There were two times as many orphans under the age of eight in prison than in orphanages. And so he got this thing that he wanted to open 
home, orphan homes for the kids on the street. But he wanted to do it in such a way that God would be so glorified. So he decided, George Mueller decided that he was going to start opening these homes. And he was going to pray that God would give him the money to do it. And he decided he was never going to ask anybody for money. He was going to do no fundraising. He was never going to get let a need be known. He was only going to pray about it, that God would give him the money. He was never going to go into debt, and he was never going to keep any personal savings account or any savings in his orphan homes. If he had any money extra at the end of the month, he was going to give it all away because he said, if I'm trusting God to provide my needs and I have a bunch of money in the bank, God will say, Mueller, you have a bunch of money in the bank. Why don't you spend that? So he would always give it away and be down to zero at the end of the month and trust God for the next month. And he raised 10,024 orphans. And so Hudson Taylor, he's just like, I love that. I want to be like that. So he quit his mission when he was 23. And he said, I'm just going to trust God to give me the money I need over here in China to put it on people's hearts. I'm not going to... I'm not going to tell anybody what I need. I'm not going to ask anybody for money. I'm just going to pray. Anyway, he came back and um, after several years, and he started his own mission organization to go into the, the most interior parts of China. He was asking for two missionaries for every province of China and two for Mongolia, which would be 24. And he, their agreement was, when you go, you have to wear... Chinese clothing, and two, you can't ask anybody for money or pray or um, fundraise any money or let anybody know your needs. You have to pray that God will give you enough money to get on a boat, get on a boat and go, and we'll trust God together. And by 1887, he had almost 600 missionaries living like that. He said, he's, somebody told him one time, he said, Mueller, you're young, you'll be older, you'll be wiser. He said, I did get older, I didn't get wiser. He said, because my, he said, our Heavenly Father has promised us that he feeds the birds, he feeds the flowers, he knows what we need. He said, if you ask him, he'll give you whatever you need. He said, he, he sustained three million Israelites in the desert for 40 years. If he gave us three million missionaries, I don't know if he will, but if he did, he'd be able to take care of all of us. Because mark it down, he said, God's work done in God's way will never lack for God's supply. And that's how they lived. I mean, it was and just like Hudson Taylor was just like, I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm just out there doing something that really nobody had ever done before and leading other people to do it. So what, ha what happens is when you, um, when you decide that you're going to follow Jesus, like you don't know where you're going, but whatever he says I'm going to do, wherever he leads, I'm going to do it. And I don't know where this is going to go, but step by step, I'm following him. I don't really care what other people do. I'm going to follow him. So if you do that, you're going to find out that you may, will probably, wind up in a situation that is so horrible. You're like, I wouldn't be in this situation if I wasn't following Jesus. Like, how did this happen? You know, it's like you're following Jesus and you're trying to follow his path for your life and you wind up in a mess. And it's like, this is a mess. Like, how, how did this happen to me? And you find out you did it by, like, abiding in Jesus or depending on Jesus. And now you're in a situation where you're going to super have to depend on him. Like you're going to have to abide like crazy now because you're in this like messy situation. And I think the, the, 
that is really where the fruit starts to come from. Like, you know, the grapes start to grow, where beautiful things start to happen in your life. There's a, there's a place in the book of Romans, um, chapter 5, where Paul said, um, being justified by faith, we have peace. We have peace with God. Like being just, like justified means, like when I believe in Jesus, um, I'm completely forgiven of everything I've ever done, do, or will do. And he said, so being justified by faith, there are some things that I know. I know that I'm loved because Jesus died for me. And I know that I'm forgiven. Like, if, I, if I'm, whatever situation I am in, I know I'm not being punished for anything. Because Jesus paid for me. Like, and I'm clean before him. And when I got justified, I knew that was just the beginning. Like, this is part of a plan. I know that I'm loved. I know that I'm clean. And I know that I've only just begun. So, and I'm super happy about that. And it gives me joy and peace to believe that. So, and then Paul goes on to say, but also, we glory in our affliction. So, what that means is, as I follow, follow Jesus, I'm going to get in some messes. But that's awesome. And you're like, it doesn't feel awesome. And it's like, but it is awesome because he said, when you get in a big mess that comes from following Jesus, like, and following his plan, and now I'm in this terrible situation, and I'm not really quite sure how it happened, he said that um, problems and afflictions lead you to what he calls perseverance. And the word perseverance means it, it actually comes from the word to abide. It has the prefix under, like down under here, I'm going to depend on him. And I'm holding on. I'm in this thing, and I'm holding on. And you're like, well, what are you holding on to? I'm holding on to my faith. I'm holding on to what I believe. I don't know why this is happening to me, but I do know I'm loved. I'm justified. I know I'm loved. And I know that I'm not being punished. Because Jesus took that from me. And I know this is part of a plan in some way. There's a, okay, so there's this thing that psychologists came up with a few, like not that long ago, called CBT. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. And Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, ba the basic idea of it is all emotions follow cognition. And cognition means thoughts. And basically what it means is you feel the way you do because you think the way you do. So like if you're 
if you're all of a sudden in a situation and you're panicky or you're full of anxiety or you're full of anger or you're super upset and you're like, why am I so afraid? And what you have to do is slow down and try to identify what am I thinking in this moment that's making me feel this way? People usually speak at 120 words a minute, but they think at 1400 words a minute. So it's going so fast. So like, let's slow all this down. So Jesus and his guys are in a boat and they get into a storm and it's a great big storm and Jesus is asleep and they say, Lord, don't you care that we're going to drown? And Jesus Jesus just wakes up and said, steals the storm and said, guys, why were you afraid? What were you thinking that made you so afraid? Oh, when you think about it, we said, we're going to die and you don't care. Okay. If I thought that was true, I'd freak out like completely all the time. But you know what I mean? But what I know is, what I know is, I know I'm loved. I don't know why this is happening, but I know I'm loved. I know I'm not being punished. And I know this is part of a plan in some way, and I'm going to hold on to that with everything I've got. And then it says, um, and that should give me peace in the middle of this and joy in the middle of this, and I shouldn't be all that upset. Um, and then he said, and perseverance leads to proven character. And you're like, oh, great. So that means God's making me into a better person. I don't really think that what, that's what it means. I think when it says proven character, I think he's referring to God's character. Like, like you're depending on Jesus, and he leads you into a situation. It feels like it's super terrible and messy and all that stuff. And you're, you hold on to your faith. I believe you. I believe you love me. I believe that you've forgiven me. I believe you're working out a plan. And hold on to it long enough, and God comes through. And you look back and say, wow, wow, it was true the whole time. Now I can see that you love me. I can, I, I can see that I'm forgiven. I can see that this was part of a plan. You know, so, so at a certain point, Hudson Taylor has all these new missionaries over there. They're doing kind of this weird stuff where they're trusting God for money and they're wearing Chinese clothes and the other missionaries think it's ridiculous and stupid. And there was an an Anglican missionary named George, George Mole. His brother was Handley C. Mole, who was a bishop in the Anglican church and probably the leading New Testament scholar in the world. And George Mole just kind of started getting super judgmental about the Hudson Taylor and these missionaries and the way they act. And he found other people that were upset and they started talking about him. And they started say, saying all kinds of stuff about him. And he started writing letters home about him. And he said, these people, I think he's a hypocrite. I think, they're, I think it's stupid what they're doing. And I think he's a dictator. And I, the way he treats people, and blah, blah, blah. And I think this needs to be stopped. And he went back home to England and started spreading all of this stuff that wasn't true. And all these missionaries, and he's gotten all these unmarried women to be a part of this mission. They all live in this one house together. I don't think it's appropriate. I think some inappropriate things may be going on, which they were not. Like Hudson Taylor is like the godliest person who ever lived. But then all these people were hearing rumors about him, and he was trusting God for his support, and he couldn't do anything about it. You know what I mean? And just like he couldn't defend himself. 
and he wasn't going to anyway, and his support started to drop and started to drop, and people started to drop him. And all he did was pray and that God would sustain him. And he got a letter one day from a man who said, I believe in you, and I believe in what you're doing, and I don't believe what people are saying about you, and I'm going to support you. And when Hudson Taylor's support dropped almost completely down to zero, this one person wound up sending him and these, all of these families close to a quarter of a million dollars a year. And it was George Mueller. And God came through for him. And, he and so it's like what happens is I myself, I'm trusting Jesus to lead me. I'm abiding in him like a branch in the vine. He leads me into situations that are messy, that's a big, gigantic mess. And I have to like super depend on him. You know what I mean? Like I'm super depending on him. And, and he proves himself to be faithful. And after, and because of that, Oh, I have peace. Now I know I'm loved. I believed I'm loved. I know I'm loved. I believe that I was forgiven. I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm not being punished when stuff like this happens. I believe that it was part of a plan. Now I can see that it's a part of a plan. And I'm filled with joy and peace. Right? Maybe. Maybe sometimes, but I've found in my life not all the time, sometimes um, that CBT, that I believe what I ought to believe. I'm th I think what I should be thinking right now, but I don't always feel what I should feel. Sometimes um, the reason CBT doesn't really kick in for me is going through those situations has given me sometimes a little bit of spiritual PTSD. Or as I like to call it, STCOOM. That scared the crud out of me. <laughs> like that, you know, and you go through these situations and God proved himself true, but you're a little bit touchy. Are we gonna do this again? When are we gonna do this again? And I know you'll prove yourself to be true to me, but it kind of triggers me a little bit. And I'm at a place where, okay, I know I'm thinking what I should think. I know I believe what I should believe, but I'm not exactly feeling what I should feel. And I'm like, come on, peace, kick in. And it's, I'm supposed to feel peace and joy right now, and I don't exactly feel that way. At that point, in my heart, I believe, you go into the deepest abiding, the deepest depending, the sweetest depending you can possibly do. And that's the point where you're like, I think what I should think. I believe what I should believe. I want to feel what I should feel, and I don't exactly feel it. Jesus. Will you help me? 
Will you give it to me? Like, I know you promised that you're with me. You're the Prince of Peace, and you're with me. I know I should be feeling peace, and I don't exactly feel it. Will you just give it to me? Will you just give me peace right now? Will you just give me joy right now? I'm thinking everything I should. I'm believing everything I should. I want to feel everything I should and don't exactly. Will you just give it to me? And he will, he will. You know, there's one thing I had just found out like a few years ago is that all of the prayers, are y'all with me right now? All of the prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed, and you know, when we pray, we pray for traveling mercies and give so-and-so, okay, whatever, good traveling mercies. The, your, the chances of you dying in an airline accident is one in 227 million, so. Keep, um, you're fine. So you know what I mean. Or just we pray about this, we pray about that. All of the prayers of the Apostle Paul, except one that I know of, are prayers for people's emotional state. And so like in Ephesians chapter 1, he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope of his calling. I pray that he fills you with hope. If you're hopeless and you believe what you should believe, that God loves you and you're not being punished and there's a plan going on and you believe all that stuff and you feel hopeless, I pray that he would give it to you, just give you hope. In chapter 3, he says, I pray that you would be strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit in your innermost person, that Christ might dwell in your heart through faith, that being rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to grasp with all the saints the length, width, and height, and depth of the love of Christ. Know this love that passes all understanding so that you can be filled up with all the fullness of God, which is just another way of saying, I pray that you could feel how loved you are. I pray that the Spirit of God would help you feel the love of God. I, be I think, I, I, I believe that's true. I want to feel it. Ask Jesus to help you feel it. I want to feel loved right now. I want to feel it. I want to feel a love that passes all understanding. In, in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, and if I ever get a tattoo, it's going to be this. But he said, and now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. And what it really says in Greek is that the God of hope will fill you with joy and peace in the believing in believing that you're loved, in believing that you're clean, in believing that you've only just begun, you should be filled with joy and peace. It's that beautiful fruit of joy and peace that people look at you and say, what is it that you have that I don't have? I need some of that. So in believing those things, I should be. But sometimes I just need to ask Jesus, will you give it to me? Will you fill me with joy and peace? Because I don't really feel it right now, and I don't know what else to do except to ask you to give it to me, and he will. I've been a little bit low in my levels in the last few weeks, and I've asked him to do it, and he has. And I'm thankful. I just like, you know, I think this morning... Are you unhappy? Like, are you unhappy? Just generally, I'm just unhappy. Do you know why you should be happy? You know, just because God loves me and I'm his. And are you still unhappy? 
this may be the missing piece. It's just the part where you say to him every day, there's a piece I want to feel, and I'm not quite feeling it. Will you give it to me? There's a joy I want to feel, and I'm not quite feeling it. Will you give it to me? Not only give it to me, will you fill me with it? And I'm finding myself that he does and, and that he will. There's a place in, in Luke, you know how Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, he said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, your father will give good gifts to those who ask. But in Luke chapter 11, you know, Matthew talks about the Holy Spirit four times. Mark talks about the Holy Spirit five times. John talks about the Holy Spirit five times. Luke talks about the Holy Spirit 13 times. And in the book of Acts, he talks about the Holy Spirit when people were out there following Jesus and depending on him 43 times. So in Luke, he said, if you give good gifts to your kids, won't your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? To those who ask, give me the joy of the Holy Spirit. Give me the peace of the Holy Spirit. I believe what I ought to believe. I'm thinking what I ought to think. I want to feel what I ought to feel. Give it to me. He will. Mm, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. There's sometimes when we just need a little bit more. And... You're the God of a little bit more. If there's somebody who's really desperate for peace right now, or somebody that's desperate for hope, or somebody that's desperate to feel loved, or somebody that's desperate for more joy than they're feeling, and they're following you and all that, give it to them. Well, I pray for that you would give it to them. I really pray that they would get up in the morning or before they go to bed at night and they would ask you themselves, give it to me. I'm going to keep asking you until I get it. Give it to me. I know you will. Lord, you give what I can't make. And when I'm filled, no one can take. It's the joy, the joy that you give me. Well, Lord, you give what I can't make. And when I'm filled, no one can take. It's the joy, the joy that you give me. I am yours, you're with me. Lord, you pour out all I need. I am yours, you're with me. Lord, you pour out all I need. It's the joy, the joy that you give me. You say you love me and you're here. You give me peace, take away fear. I want the joy, the joy that you Give me. You say you love me and you're here. You give me peace, take away fear. I want the joy, the joy that you give me. I am yours, you're.